Numbers. Uh, this is episode number 57, and we're diving into the first data, but also some pre-data for the Brothers War. And before I start, just a reminder, uh, this stream is sponsored by mtgazone.com, uh, a website where I recently wrote a big guide on removal, and um, very soon I'm going to write an article on the different cards that require numbers in uh, making sure that they work and exactly where those numbers lay, so you can um, uh, look through that when that appears. Um, there's also plenty of stuff from J2S Josh. There's been a really nice sealed primer from the Jordan, uh, who also started writing for that. So, you know, like it's me, and there are also good magic players uh, writing about limited in, in gazone.com. So, do some clicks, um, uh, you know, click on all my articles that will help me uh, build some credibility with the owners. Um, so, yeah, I will, be, I will be very glad uh, if that would happen. Um, what else, what else, what else? Um, that's, I guess, it for the introduction because we want to get to the meat um, of this presentation. And the meat of this presentation is some first look at the data and also some look at the pre-data data. Um, but again, every single time before I start going into the actual topic, I have my small preamble. And this one is based on the Bank of America announcement that they downgraded the stock of Hasbro. And as reasons for that, they gave uh, their shameless draining of the magic player base and overloading with products and um, not thinking about the long-term strategy. Now, A, you might have heard it in some other limited podcasts, but I am not a financial advisor, so I don't, I'm not going to tell you to buy or sell Hasbro stock. I'm going to tell how uh, parts of their analysis at least um, are close to my heart because uh, they touched on one thing that I always thought with the current WOTC strategy for creating a product it's a product that has a very, very hard entry. And if you have a very hard entry, it means that you're not particularly interested in new players. You basically treat them as sort of throwaways, people that will buy a couple of packs, play a bit, and then get bored and stop playing. Their whole strategy was aimed at whales, so people who spent a lot of money on magic products, collectors, uh, people super invested, people that play the game for 20 plus years. And game based on whales slowly dies because with every whale getting bored or having a heart attack uh, or um, going bankrupt and not being able to play anymore, they lose a large chunk of their money base, basically. And this is not the kind of strategy. I'm not questioning its financial merits. Bank of America did it for me. Uh, I'm questioning just how I see that game. I mean, I'm playing this game and I want it to be as big as possible. For it to be as big as possible, it needs fresh blood entry, accessible level, and it needs some sort of format where new players can go on Arena, very quickly have all the cards, and um, and uh, be able to learn how to play, have some kind of competitive um, um, possibilities, and expand the player base. I honestly think that uh, Arena should have all the standard cards available at all times for every player as a sort of phantom collection. So on top of your normal collection, you have access to four-offs in every standard deck possible. And that would allow people to make their standard decks, play their standard, get their fix. If they get good enough, they will start playing historic. They will start playing um, uh, older formats. They will start playing limited. And I think it's a much better strategy for the health of the game and for the how many people are playing it. Um, 
Mercurio says, it seems like digital card games generally are dying off. People just don't have attention span. Um, they used to, and they'd rather play stuff like Marvel Snap or Flesh and Blood. Um, yeah, these are two, two, two uh, different games. One has the vibes of old magic in terms of competitive, um, and that's Flesh and Blood. Marvel Snap, I do play it. At, it's very quick. So that, that's, 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 I guess, a plus. Um, but I think it's also not only to do with, um, uh, it's not only to do with attention span. I think it's a lot to do is with economy. I have so many people in my LGS that don't play arena because they just can't enter at the right level. They have to play scrappy decks for a long time. I always convince them to, you know, uh, make your quests, collect gold, use the gold to play quick drafts, use quick drafts to collect cards use those collections to play later but not everyone has that amount of time that can dedicate to a magic that's why i think that free for all standard would be good lots of people would play just standard and that's fine it would create uh, traffic on the on the website uh, but also some people will go deeper into it because they will have ability to compete at the proper level because they will have access to all the cards okay and this is the, my biggest worry about Magic. It's not the card being too wordy. It's not about um, price of reserve list or whatnot. It's basically that there's just not enough young people entering. And you, you see that when you see professional tournaments and you see the same people who you saw in 2007 being in top eights all the time and very few young people uh, entering. And you know th those young people are also approaching 30 right now. And I'm, I started playing Magic when I was like, 16 i was competitive when uh, i was competitive when i was like 18 to 22 and that was the time that was the time to be there but uh, yeah i don't see many of those people at all in the competitive scene because it's so also hard to get there and you know uh those very invested top players are still playing and uh, i'm not saying they're taking place because they're amazing and they should be playing it's just that somehow there is just not enough uh entry points for younger players. But okay, enough of that digression. I'm sure you're dying to hear about the Brothers War. Uh, and I'm on the wrong bloody screen. Okay, yeah, there we go. Uh, so first of all, I'm going to briefly talk about the uh, removal. Um, normally I do that before the set was released, but um, last week I, uh, I did other things. And this week, well, I'm gonna talk about it, but uh, we already know a bit more. Um, then I normally speculate on cards, but uh, uh, first of all, I will talk about the uh, damage-based removal. I'm not going to give you the list of all the unconditional removals. That's not that interesting as we're already playing the format, so you probably have met most of the culprits. But uh, just to give you the impression of how good is a different type of removals, um, there is always some damage-based removal that kills creature with toughness X or less. Um, one, two, three, four, and five in this case, of, in the case of this set. Uh, there's not so much of the one damage removal. Actually, there is not a single one that is a spell. Um, so that one, that particular spell uh, part is missing. Uh, <laughs> but there are a couple of creatures. There is the uh, Knowing Vermin, uh, one mana, one, one, that when it dies, it gives minus one, minus one to something. And there is also the um, Arbalist Engineer, uh, the three mana, two, two in Gruel Colors. When it enters the battlefield, it can ping something for one, among other options. Um, and it's interesting that they didn't put anything uh, in, in this sense uh, into the format, because there's quite a lot of uh, X1s in the format. There's 29% of the creatures at common level are uh, X1s. 26% um, of uncommons are X1s, just 13 rares and mythics. 
but, but that would be that's to be expected. But 29, as you will see in the next slide, is quite actually a large number for uh, for X ones, and there is no dedicated spell that deals specifically with them. Also, there is only a couple of um, one damage uh, sweepers, and one of them costs six mana and is not really good. Uh, the other one is probably playable. On the other hand, two damage spells, 48% of commons are killed by um, this figure. The one mana uh, target creature gets minus uh, two minus two until end of turn. This is not a lot. Um, this is very medium uh, in terms of that. Luckily, this figure can have other uses. It can be also used as a sort of combat trick. You know, you block uh, their 4-4 four, four with your 3-3, three, three. you play this figure, and um, all of a sudden um, you traded a 1-mana spell for a 4-4, four, four. so that's a good deal normally. Uh, but also not many spells that can um, uh, deal free damage uh, in this format. Actually, there's pretty pretty low amount of this conditional damage removal in the format in general, and conditional removal in general. And this may <coughs> have something to do with the larger than normally presence of the massive, massive creatures. And uh, probably they limited the amount of damage-based removal because it feels bad when you only have damage-based removal and you are uh, faced with uh, six sixes all the time. Um, but yeah, 48, 43, and 32% of uh, creatures in common, uncommon, and rare mythic uh, rarity is killed by this figure, which is not as good as in some formats. Let's put it like that. And there's three damage removal. Uh, I think that um, Excavation Explosion is the prime example of this uh, type of spell. 73% uh, common creatures will be killed by that, and then it drops off quite steeply to 63 and 51%. Um, in um, uh, uncommon and uh, rare rarities. Now, obviously, uh, excavation explosion can go face, which is a very important feature of that kind of spell, and also gives you a um, power stone, which means that at three mana, it ramps you to five next turn potentially, and you can play the five mana artifact, for example. <clears throat> um, four damage, 89% of the common creatures is killed by four damage spell, which makes obliterating bolt an amazing rate because for two mana, I kill 90% of, uh, of common creatures. And also 78% uncommon, 72% rares. That's quite a lot. Um, and it exiles, which is also important with all the unearthed creatures in the format. So this this, this card, I, I wrote in my removal guide from last week, it's excellent and amazing. And I spoiler alert, the numbers are uh, pretty good for it. So uh, it seems like uh, I was right in that particular case. And then uh, Unleash Shell, pun, pun, pun. Um, that's a five mana five, deal five, and it deals two to the face. Uh, kills 96% of common creatures. Two unleashed shells kill all common creatures, including the 10 10. Um, but uh, probably that's a steep price to pay. Um, but it also kills around 90%, like 80, 89, 87% of the uncommons and rares, which is basically unconditional. However, it doesn't deal with the biggest uh, threats in the format, which can be a problem. Um, so uh, how does numbers compare with the previous sets? Like I told you, um, there is plenty of X1s in this format. Only Streets of New Capanna had more. And you have to keep in mind that Streets of New Capanna had a lot of one toughness creatures with shield counters, and here we don't have those. So um, one uh, power creatures are probably going to be better in this format than, uh, than normally. And it shows uh, uh, in the initial data, at least. So there is hope that those... Uh, Soldier tokens are not complete throwaways. They can actually deal with quite a large chunk of, uh, of creatures. This is basically, uh, this is by the way, based on commons only. I, I, I didn't look at high rarities because you're going to be playing against commons most frequently. Uh, <coughs> two damage, on the other hand, 
Um, it's only 48%. I think only uh, AFR had lower number than that. Um, so when you combine that one X1s were one of the highest fractions and uh, and two and less are one of the lowest fractions, it means that there's painfully few creatures with two toughness, um, uh, which is something that you should consider. I think that this format has weirdly huge amount of two, three creatures. Um, uh, and also lots of them cost four mana for some reason, but uh, two twos are bouncing off those uh, quite badly. So uh, think about that when you put a two, two in your deck. Uh, that two two better scale up with the game, like the Argothian Sprite, or have something else like Menace, like the two two um, that makes a Power Stone when it enters the battlefield, red uncommon. But yeah, it's nowhere near uh, Streets of New Capanna or, uh, or or Midnight Hunt that had sixty percent of the creatures were covered by two. In those formats, like something like Shock would have been amazing because it deals with so many common creatures. Here, it becomes much worse. And luckily for this figure, as I already mentioned, it can be used as a combat trick, so it can be used uh, differently. But keep in mind that using a removal spell as a combat trick comes with extra uh, scare of being 2 for one if something wrong happens. Uh, then when we look at the uh, X3s, it sort of levels up between sets there, but um, but uh, Brothers War is on the lower end of the spectrum here, together with Kamigawa and, um, and Kaltheim. These were the formats where there were the fewest um, uh, free and less toughness creatures. Um, and again, far away from uh, um, from Streets of Nukapana, where creatures were markedly small in terms of toughness. Um, and I think that this, the, the last graph shows you that Wizards design team mainly uses the knobs on uh, those one, two, and three toughness creatures in terms of uh, making sure that they can adjust the format. Because across the board, it's more or less the same amount of the uh, foreign less uh, uh, toughness creatures across all the formats. And uh, yeah, Brothers War is bang in the middle here with 89. Uh, most of them are, yeah, most of them fit in a very narrow range between 87% and 93%, where 93 is almost an outlier there. So um, huge variation at, at, at this level and, 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 and relatively no variation in here. Um, which is in part why those five damage removals will be depending on how frequently those five dam five toughness creatures are being played, because the number of them will be more or less the same uh, in all the formats. The question is, are they playable or not? And and I think that that's how they regulate those bigger creatures. In some formats, they are much more playable. Like remember Tolarian Terror from the last format that was defining of the whole format and. That's why uh, some four damage spells were just not good enough because they didn't deal with the Tolarian Terror. Um, and in some formats, they are all unplayable and then you play smaller game and smaller creatures. And that's where damage removal becomes more important because you can deal with most played creatures. Uh, there's also a bit of uh, unconditional removal. Uh, there is a bunch of things that kill artifact creature. Um, I gave Disenchant as an example, but there is also the uh, red, raise, raise the ground, raise to the ground. Um, they kill roughly one-third of the uh, common and uncommon creature and 40% of rares and mythics. Uh, as we'll see later, Disenchant is not as good as I possibly thought before the format has started. It's not looking like um, Destroy Evil was looking in, um, in uh, Dominaria United. Then there's Shutdown, which has a slightly wider uh, application because it also deals with the flying creatures. Um, flying creatures seem to be really good in this format, which should give some boost to Shutdown shoot down, but four mana is also quite a lot of man mana for removal, so 
potentially um, um, a setback for the card. And there is go for the throat, which kills around two thirds. Obviously, this one kills one third, this one kills two thirds of the common and uncommon creatures, 60% of the rares and mythics. Um, spoiler alert, numbers look good on go for the throat. So um, it seems like this is the number that is just enough. And those creatures are just important enough. And go for the throat is just cheap enough uh, for it to be relevant for um, for the format. <coughs> Big graph, but I took like a bunch of removal spells. I didn't find every one of them, I think, but uh, we can just look through them and how they look in this initial data, and mainly looking at which ones are looking good. And I think I'm going to make a cutoff at this 58% and uh, which ones look less good and um, um, maybe surprisingly so. Now, keep in mind, all the enchantment and artifact removal spells are in this less good part that I arbitrarily set at 58%. Uh, we have a disenchant here. Uh, we have race to the ground. Um, uh, we have shoot down at 55. Uh, disenchant is 57.3 and race to the ground 56. So it looks like this artifact removal, at least in the early stage of the format, is not playing very well. Um, also, the fight spells, uh, Epic Confrontation at 56.9 and Bushwhack at 55.7, which is really surprising to me. This card looked so much better to me uh, uh, than this. And maybe it will increase um, as the as the format progresses. Uh, they don't look good. Goblin Firebomb, uh, that card was speculated to be bad and is pretty bad, 48.8%. And um, slight surprise for me, Desynchronize, the, the five mana uh, put thing on the top of the library, is not doing that well. Uh, so uh, maybe uh, worth noting. What is doing good? Well, Gix's Command is doing good. It is a removal, technically. The card is busted. Uh, play it. 68% win rate is amazing. Uh, <coughs> but what is good? Static Net. Despite Disenchant being in the format, Static Net is looking good. 63.3% win rate. Uh, it is the Oblivion, if, in case you don't know yet. It is the Oblivion Stone for Oblivion Ring for uh, four mana. It also uh, gives you two life and a Power Stone as it enters the battlefield, so that does really well. In the trenches, that's a glorious anthem with a removal built in uh, that does really well, sixty-two point three. Obliterating Bolt, as I mentioned, uh, sixty-one point one. Um, and here we have the first common removal spell, Overwhelming Remorse, sixty point nine percent win rate. That's a really high. It's a, in fact, it's the best black common so far. Um, Overwhelming Remorse is the five mana uh, instant exiled creature, but it gets cheaper for every creature card in your graveyard. So frequently it will cost three. I played with it <coughs> and very often it was three, two mana because my deck was having a bit of self mill. Um, so that looks really good. Excavation Explosion, 60.7. So the same ballpark. Um, these are the two prime common removals, um, uh, Remorse and Explosion. Uh, here we have Mightstone and Weakstone, which technically gives minus five, minus five to something, so is technically a removal. Um, and it, you know, and it also is a double power stone, costs five mana, or potentially can draw you two cards. And still, it's only very, very marginally better than Unleash Shell, the five mana red, technically clunky removal. But 59.3% win rate from uh, Unleash Shell. That doesn't tell clunky to me at all. That means that it's a key piece of cardboard in your red decks. And I would probably play one or two um, uh, almost always. It seems like it aligns well with the format. Um, <coughs> I didn't mention in between go for the throat, 59.8 means very good. Um, always play it, uh, it will be good. Surprise to me again, prison sentence. Uh, 
those of you who watch more frequently um, know that I'm not a big fan of pacifism or arrest effects. This one looks good. It does arrest. It does do scry two when it enters the battlefield, which is a small thing, but that small thing pushes it over the uh, normal uh, mediocrity of, of those arrest effects. Uh, <coughs> because even if <coughs> they blow it out after that, you get some kind of an... Um, uh, some kind of a small benefit um, that you will be able to keep so you didn't waste completely the cardboard and they have to use a card to deal with it, which will usually not give them anything else. So uh, you are slightly um, ahead on that exchange. Yes, the Unleashed Shell doing two damage to the face as Industrial Strength mentioned is very relevant. And I did win games because I had that extra two damage um, uh, basically to any target. Uh, yeah, that did happen. Then we have Legions to Ashes, the uh, black and white rare um, uh, permanent removal, 59.2, uh, so yeah, solid. Uh, Mishra's Command, another rare, 59%, solid. Corrupt at 58.4. Um, first deck I drafted in the format was a mono black with two corrupts. Yeah, they're good. They are good, uh, but you need to have the deck that is dedicated uh, to it. I'm pretty sure that corrupted mono black decks and decks with mono black decks with multiple corrupts are going to be way better than. Um, <clears throat> then, um, then putting it in the deck that is even heavily black tinted, like you know, maybe twelve five uh, land split. That might be not enough for corrupt to be very strong. Uh, of note, uh, sibling rivalry. The uh, unless I'm mistaken, it's the uh, steal a creature until end of turn effect for this uh, set. Uh, Fifty eight point one. I think that there is um, there is technology to deal with the stealing and sacrificing a creature in this format. So. Um, uh, by all means, you can play it. This figure at solid 58, and that's the sort of overview of the removal. I know I, I've realized when I was doing the graph that I uh, forgot a couple, uh, uh, and I will look at them later, but uh, for now, this is pretty comprehensive overview. Of course, some of the removal spells don't have enough uh, sample size yet to get the numbers, uh, but that probably means that they are not so great. Of note, I did forget the um, uh, the blue enchantment removal. Um, so I am going to quickly check it because that's an interesting one. Color blue, all decks, no, yes, all users, yes. Rarity, that's what I want, common. Uh, game and hand win rate. Weakstone subjugation, 56.9, so uh, slightly lower. This might be something to do with generally blue being um, uh, less good performing color for now. And the other one that I forgot was uh, uh, Deadly Repost, and that has 54% uh, game and hand win rate. So it is actually pretty poor. So I would avoid it un unless unless a control white deck materializes at some stage. Powerstone Fracture, ooh, that's a big omission, you're right. Um, uh, Powerstone Fracture is, if I'm off the top of my head, it was around 56 something. There we go, 56.4% win rate. In game in hand. That's markedly lower. Um, again, this is the card that needs to be in the right deck, and I'm pretty sure that people play it badly because normally people start from the assumption that removal is good, and then the subtleties of the format come later. So I'm pretty sure that uh, Powerstone Fracture will improve as the format progresses. Um, let's check. Can we see the top 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 players win rate with it? Uh, top players win rate with it. 60, which is not far from the top win rates for the black um, spells. So that <laughs> makes me quite comfortable with the conclusion that 
Um, it is a good removal. It just needs to be very, you know, need to be very careful uh, about which deck you put it in. Right. Let's go back to the uh, let's go back to the presentation slides. So um, I did a small feature on Twitter about the Milli Vanilla creatures. That's my own name. Don't judge me for that. But these are the creatures that either mill you and you get to draw a card from the cards that you milled or are just slightly bigger vanilla creatures um, uh, if you fail to find your target because you can put a plus one plus one counter instead of <coughs> getting the card in your hand. Now, it will be very fascinating to see if um, um, how good they are when you don't find anything or when you choose not to find something. But my general theory about it before the uh, data was released that these creatures will be as good as uh, at least big part of um, how good they are is going to be um, how good are the fail cases in which by fail case I mean uh, if you if you don't draw a card. So um, Airlift Chaplain is a three mana one one flying. It mills three cards uh, and you can pick a planes or uh, a creature with mana value three or less um, from those three cards. Uh, if you don't, you put a plus one plus one counter on uh, on the chaplet. So if you fail, it becomes a three mana two two flyer, which is a wind drake. Nothing exciting, but nothing too bad. So uh, and uh, finding a planes or um, a creature with mana value three or less is realistic, <laughs> especially that the black and white steam is creatures with mana value three or less. So allegedly, it must be a supported thing. Um, so um, yeah, I speculated that because a two-two flyer is not is not bad as a fail case, and because it has a high, possibly the highest of all those creatures' uh, success rate, uh, it's pretty good. Um, Falaji Archaeologist, um, that's a two mana O3, and it mills three cards. You may put a non-creature, non-land card from among those milled cards, unless and if you don't, you put a plus one plus one counter. So it can be two mana one four. It's not an exciting stat line for me, even in this format. Or it becomes an O3 and you have a spell. So sort of like a bad impulse that can only find spells uh, that are not creatures um, <coughs> and leaves an O3 body uh, instead of looking at one extra card. Um, not a big fan of decks that play that kind of thing, um, but it's potentially a powerful um, ability. I'm just worried that in the early format, it's going to be hard to find the right builds for that card. And this will maybe come later in the uh, in the season when when um, when people will figure out how to build those type of decks. But my speculation before it was released was that this is going to be medium, very medium. Um, <laughs> Ravenous Gigamol, four mana two three. And when it enters the battlefield, mill three. Blah blah blah. Uh, and this one looks for creature cards. So four mana four three four is not super exciting but it's not bad i mean it's a big body i think <clears throat> three four aligns pretty well with this um format so that's um to the favor of the uh, gigamol um but i probably would want to be keen on milling synergies if i played that card so i want i don't want to play it in in a deck where i don't have any kind of either recursion or um return from your graveyard or cards in the graveyard matter that kind of stuff I, I would want to have those synergies before I play the Gigamol, or I want to have like loads of creatures and um, basically make it almost uh, infallible. Uh, <coughs> Tomacle Scrapsmith, three mana two one, 
When it enters the battlefield, you mill three cards and you may put an artifact card from among the cards milled this way into your hand if you don't put a plus one plus one counter on the McCool Scrapsmith. Vanilla 3-2 is my least favorite stat line in Magic, I think. I really hate that stat line. I really, really dislike 3-2s, unless they do something marvelous. I like Organ Hoarder. It does marvelous things. Tomacool Scrapsmith doesn't. It occasionally will become a 2-1 that draws me an artifact, but it seems that artifacts are not necessarily the high-impact things. And also, it would require a dedicated red artifact deck, um, which I don't think there is one. I would be probably happier playing Tomacool Scrapsmith in, in something like uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, where I would be probably happy to uh, uh, to play it and, and, and find some cheap artifact because uh, artifacts were super powerful in that particular mono red build. Um, but this one I put as almost unplayable uh, before the set was released and uh, data, spoiler alert, sort of confirms it. And then last we have Bluntwood Prowler. Uh, that's a two mana one one. When it enters the battlefield, mill three. You can put a land card from among the cards milled this way into your hand. And if you don't, put a plus one, plus one counter, so it becomes a two-two. I think that two mana vanilla two-two is not great, but it's something. And it gives you the opportunity of getting this extra land. I think that... um, um, I think that... um, Especially in best of one, being able to get those extra lands somehow is very important if you are going big mana, because... The problem with the best of one is that um, you have the truncated distribution of lands in your opening hand. Like in best of three, 80%, if you have 17 lands, 80% of your opening hands will have two, three, or four uh, lands in them, which means that you will have like some chunk of the hands that will have more than four lands. Uh, In best of one, 99% of the hands have between two and four lands um, in the opening hand. And that's a big difference. So it means that it's harder to get into six mana, for example. And that extra land from Blanchard Plower, if it's reliable enough, um, is a big step in the right direction. And if even if it fails, you have this 2-2 that will maybe allow you to survive to the later game because you have a blocker that can trade with something on the opponent's side that opponent plays an aggressive deck. So if you don't fail, you get your lands, you get quicker to your um, uh, right numbers. If you don't, you get a 2-2. But also keep in mind, I told you, there is plenty of X1 creatures in this format. So even that 1-1 uh, body um, 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 is not completely irrelevant because you will find something to trade with or something that will stop opponent from attacking or maybe even force them to use like some sort of uh, lower value removal on the branch with Prowler, which, which is a win for you uh, because you already got a land from it. Uh, so uh, basically, opponent will have to two for one themselves uh, in most cases. Uh, and as Isaiah MTG says, quite correctly, if you whiff, you're still digging towards that land. So the chances, well, the chance of drawing a land in the next draw is higher because you mill three non-lands uh, off the top of your library. So your library is richer in lands, uh, and therefore the, 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 the probability of drawing a land is, is higher. Um, so looking at the numbers of those cards, uh, I did all the possible scenarios for Branchwood Prowler in a very particular case. If you're on the play, you have 17 lands in your deck, it's best of one, and you play it on turn two. And the result is that when you look at all those um, uh, scenarios, so uh, you could have had a four uh, lands in the opening hand, or two, or three. I rounded up. I didn't count those fringe scenarios of uh, having fewer. Um, and you know, in, in, in your first draw step, you also have a chance of drawing a land. But the weighted average of all those scenarios is that you will hit uh, 82.2% of the time. 
um, which is good. I mean, that means that um, most of the time you are going to get your land and more than most of the time, like uh, you will get it four times and you will miss one, uh, basically. And this is good enough for me. I think that um, it's a powerful card if you want to have more lands, if you're digging into more lands, or if you're like a cheeky um, uh, person and try to uh, skim on the lands because you have some countrying artifacts and you only play 16, for example, uh, you will still be able to potentially draw that third land. <coughs> and that third land is what you need in your deck. If you put 16, you better be operational on three lands. Um, so the other creatures, the uh, archaeologist, the gigamole, and the scrapsmith, realistically, you will have between five and, you know, in extreme cases, 20 uh, targets for the gigamole. I think that, you know, archaeologists, you probably realistically look at 12 targets maximum and scrapsmith maybe you maybe you can get a 15 artifact deck or something uh, this is like an average chance it's i didn't simulate all the scenarios because it was way too much uh, simulating for my taste and for my time constraints but if you have five targets for your spell in your deck you will find it one third of the time on average if you have um if you have eight nine that's around 50 percent of hitting um if you go to uh 13 you get like roughly 70 and 15 targets you get three quarters of the time you're going to hit um so um as you can see they will hit much less realistically at least uh which means that you have to make sure that you're happy with their fail cases which means if you play archaeologist you have to be happy to have a one four on the board um, you don't want to play the, the it, you don't want to play it in aggressive tempo deck because that doesn't progress your board early and 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 later gives you body that you're not interested in. But if there is a control deck, um, you're quite happy playing the archaeologist. Gigamol probably better because you will. I'm pretty sure you will easy have 16 um, targets for it. Uh, I see. I, I found one four to be fine against aggro. Pretty crap if they aren't. Well, yes, I think that this is the problem that. Um, those blue decks uh, that are the control ones, they will be maybe okay against aggro if they have the archaeologist, but against mid-range decks that have big bombs, big threats, uh, that one for body is absolutely useless. And your blue, um, uh, blue red or blue black control might just not have the tools to deal with those kind of decks. So, uh, uh, Falaji archaeologist is definitely not helping with plans of dealing with it. So, Gigamol is uh, probably going to have like you know, between 72 and 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 81 percent chance of, um, of of hitting, which is okay. Um, I think that this creature is going to be good, especially that it first signs of the format. It looks to me like black, maybe with green, they actually can get um, uh, can get some sort of mill synergies uh, in, um, and it remains to be seen how those things are going to be built. But there might be those decks that mill quite aggressively and. Uh, and hope that the opponents don't have Soul Guide Lantern, which randomly hoses all those decks. And then <laughs> Scrapsmith, again, I'm pretty sure if you want to play it, you better have those 10 artifacts plus, so probably you will have like 57, 75% chance of hitting. And still, 3 mana 2 1 is not, not something I'm super happy with, uh, uh, basically. Um, Isaiah, you haven't played Black Red, but um, you really want to. the one black red uncommon looks gas yeah i had three of them in my trophy deck i were good i can tell you that and they were the only non-red non-purely red cards in my deck uh i just splashed three of them uh 
three of them into my red aggro and it was great. <laughs> okay. Then we have the uh, airlift chaplain. I expanded it slightly because here you can have almost a guarantee of hitting. Uh, because A, you can play a mono white deck. I think mono decks are going to be a thing in this format. Maybe mono white is not the most obvious one, but uh, I can see it happen. Um, and then of course you have probably like 15 planes that you can hit and then and, and probably like 12 creatures. So you can go even up to 27. You almost guarantee yourself a hit. Um, I'm pretty sure that in most decks that play like nine to 10 planes, um, so uh, eight to nine targets for planes because you have you need to have one to uh, uh, to cast it. But um, eight to nine plus maybe 10, 11 creatures, you're going to get between like 19, 21 targets. So we're gonna get like hit rates of 85, 89%. So highest of all those creatures. And, um, uh, and that's good because I think that you want to draw, you want to keep that one, one flyer, maybe you want to uh, boost it somehow. Um, um, so yeah, I think that uh, generally the numbers are very much in favor of the airlift chaplain. But of course, theoretical numbers are nothing. They're not important. We're interested in the practical one. Uh, oh, wait, sorry, that's that's one. I forgot I have this one. Um, so because this one actually looks for two different types of cards, sometimes you have a choice between do I pick a land or do I pick a creature? So I did, um, uh, so I did a simulation for a deck with the nine planes or 11 planes. And what are the odds of hitting both things, uh, depending on how many creatures with mana value three or less you have in your deck? And you know, with uh, with nine creatures with mana value three or less, you get like and nine planes in the deck, you get a twenty one percent of a chance to have a choice between the two. It's important because sometimes it's good to have choice. It of course will promote better players because they are better in making the right choice. Um, but keep in mind that you will have that kind of uh, uh, flexibility uh, at some stages. Um, if you go to up to 11 uh, planes, you will have 25% of doing the same uh, with nine creatures. And it remains sort of steady-ish, like between, it increases very slowly the, the, uh, the gap between nine and 11 planes. Uh, but if you have like 11 creatures, you get 25% of hitting with nine planes and 30% with hitting with um, 11 planes. And it goes on and on and on like that. But uh, there is a non-trivial uh, chance of having that potential choice between the two. Um, th this is the chance of have hitting both a planes and a creature. You have to keep that in mind. Um, and uh, uh, this is the chance of hitting uh, the creatures. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that people assume that um, uh, with the Gigamole, you just basically 90% of the time draw a card and it's actually very hard to have it at 90%. It will be more, more like early 75 to 80. I think that very important is that Prowler 82.2 is I think good enough because the fail case of a 2-2 is okay. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Uh, so we have the first data and keep in mind, every single thing is based on smaller than normal uh, sample size because we are two days in the format. There is a lot of it and we'll be having like more than 2000 games in hand uh, win rate sample size uh, for most cards or most commons at least. Uh, but it's still small sample sizes and also early format is clunky. People still don't know what to do. They do the wrong things. Some people are playing that are only playing in the first few days, which changes the win rates and blah, 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 so on. So 
Mind that this data is not set in stone. It will change quite dramatically over the first two weeks. Card evaluation will change. Some cards will become less open and less abusable by the top players and so on and so on. And I'm going to help doing that because I will definitely talk about cards that are underdrafted, uh, overdrafted and uh, should be changed. Um, Real Pizza Hand asks, do you think airlift is good right now because aggro is, um, uh, is good early on? Aggro is not necessarily good uh, early on. It's not like a given. It's usually the decks that are the easiest to comprehend that are doing well early. And true, aggro decks very often fill that um, uh, gap. But for example, in Kaltheim, it was um, aggro was not good early. Early in the uh, in Kaltheim, uh, all the dirty snow decks were good. Uh, the ones with five colors and everything was snow because the snowlands were so open. And if you had access to snowlands, you get so much edge on that because uh, the powerful synergies that were there were just amazing. And only <coughs> after some time, when the general population started drafting snowlands higher and the snowlands were not available at wheel anymore, then aggro became good. And then when aggro became good, it took some time for people to figure out, for example, the black-green elves, and that became really good at the end of the season. So uh, it very much depends on what is great. Like in Midnight Hunt, blue-black um, blue tempo was good in the beginning uh, because it was, again, it was a straightforward deck that you could easily draft, and very important cards were wheeling for that deck, like Organ Hoarder or uh, Drowned, uh, Drowned with the Dead. Drowned with the Dead, I think. Um, so it's not a golden rule, but yes... Aggro decks are usually easier to build um, uh, in most formats. Uh, that's my 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 my. I see this kind of heuristic. It's not a universal rule, though. Um, so I think that there's like two groups of those Melivanili um, creatures: uh, Erlif Chaplin, Blanchwood uh, Prowler, and Ravenous Gigamol. All have a quite close um, win rate. Mine, Ravenous Gigamol, does it by being a four drop, which is quite surprising. I wasn't thinking that this is going to be as good as it is. Um, uh, Blanchard Prowler, really solid, 58.3% uh, win rate. Erlif Chaplin, 58.8, very close to each other. And then we have a lower tier. These are cards that are below par for now. And I think that there is a hope for Falaji Archaeologist uh, as the format progresses, uh, because the decks that it will naturally be good in are going to be much more difficult to um, um, conceptualize. And these are not the first week decks. These are the decks when you have a stable metagame. So after like two weeks, you can start attacking the metagame because people's pick orders are more or less stable since then. Um, so I, I'm, my prediction would be that this card would be improving. Oh, good NCAA that you're here. Okay, that's a good note. Uh, NCAA marks uh, that uh, um, Archaeologist is a very good opening hand win rate, which is consistent with the fact that it's a good stopper for the aggressive decks and maybe later just a me menial body. And especially with especially that, you know, it doesn't guarantee the hit uh, even in the late game. So uh, that's the problem with it. Um, Tomacool Scrapsmith, 54.8. And I don't think that it will improve very much. Um, I think that this card is just the poorest of the of the five. And, and the data so far confirms it. Uh, let's hope that it will stick because otherwise I'll look like a buffoon again. Um, so let's look at the metagame. Um, this is shaping to be uh, two-color format, I can instantly see that um, it's like 90% of the decks are two colors. 6% um, of the decks are monocolor or monocolor with splash. Um, for the first time, for the first time I've seen actually in the 17 lens data, 
there was one deck that didn't have a color. It was colorless deck with the splash. So probably it was a colorless deck that had uh, uh, two, three cards of one color, which, which is quite interesting that someone managed to put so many artifacts. Um, there is some amount of free color decks and um, uh, free colors and splash, not that many. There was a couple of four color decks, but really they were too little to even show you the numbers on those. Um, that they did um, arguably have high win rates. Um, and yeah, I think that NCAA claims that uh, he, they play um, uh, multicolor decks uh, more than anything, or are you just forcing mono NCAA? As I said, I'm, my first draft was mono black, um, but I didn't see myself playing three colors yet. I've, I've seen some people play three colors though. Um, okay, let's hide that one. Uh, but yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be a two-color format, quite clearly. It, um, it clusters together with um, uh, all the other two-color formats uh, that we had in last years. Arguably, this one will have more monocolor mono than uh, than the previous one, so uh, keep that in mind. Okay, so NCA plays monocolor, mono red, and mono green. Okay, we we got it. We got it. That's where it's at. Uh, <clears throat> so the win rates: monocolor decks, fifty-five percent win rate. Uh, monocolor and splash, fifty-four point six. Two-color decks, 56.8. And this is the peak two-color um, decks have the highest win rate and the highest uh, sample size as well. Um, two colors and splash, 55.1. Three color, 54.8. And three colors and splash, 49.3. Um, so there is a big drop uh, with three colors and splash. Also pretty small sample size, keep that in mind. Um, generally, the peak performance is two-color decks uh, for this format. But again, that will vary very much by people. I'm pretty sure that some people are going to be forcing um, monocolor decks much more frequently. And I assume that the NCAA, your win rate is slightly above the average by probably 20% percentage points or something. Yeah, 72% win rate. Yeah, you're, you're fine. You can do your monocolor shenanigans. You know how to do it. But remember, NCAA is a professional. Uh, don't try this at home, or at least don't expect to have 72% win rate drafting monocolor at home. But definitely draft red, by the way. Um, let's look at the color pairs by frequency. Most drafted so far is Rakdos, I think to the point where it's overdrafted. Um, and uh, red bars are pure Rakdos, and blue bars are Rakdos and Splash. So if you want to have the full, you need to add those up. Um, second most popular, uh, Azorius, 11.2 um, uh, in pure and 2.1 uh, in splashed version. Uh, then we have Golgari, 10.8 and 2.7 of the splash. So Golgari seems to be the color combination when people try to put uh, uh, splashes and more colors. So the, the, this sort of black-green base for uh, multicolor decks. Uh, Demir, 9 and 2.5. And uh, again, quite a little splashing in, in Demir. Then we have Orzov, and that, that's a big drop. So basically, these four, uh, Raktus, Azorius, Golgari, and Demir, are the most drafted archetypes for now. Uh, and the other ones are markedly lower than that, but not too low. There's no like uh, archetype that is almost not drawn. The, the lowest numbers uh, are for uh, Izzet, and it's like 7.5%, when you would expect 10% based on how many color combinations they are. These are only frequencies for two-color decks, yep. So... Um, I don't count the mono and uh, three colors for that particular statistics. So we have Orzov with um, uh, 7.2 and 1.2. Um, Boros, 6.6, 1% splashing. So Boros rarely splashes. 
splashes almost three times less than uh, Golgari does. Same with Is it 6.4% pure and 1.1% um, with a splash. And then we have Gruel 6.3 and 1.6, Selesnya uh, 6.3 and 1.8, and Simic. Every single format that there is, I think Simic is the lowest drafted deck. And I'm starting to think that Watsi really has a Simic problem in terms of design. They just, there's been like good formats for Simic, like Midnight Hunt. Simic was, I think, one of the two most uh, winning as archetypes. Still, people didn't draft it because somehow they make Simic really convoluted to, to get to a good build. And then few people want to go into that, which is good news. If you want to specialize in Simic drafting, you will probably have it more open than average. Um, but yeah, there we go. It's also the deck. Part of it is that when you have a Simic base, it's very frequently quite easy to add a third color. So, uh, well, they could just balance by giving good gold card, but um, quite frequently the gold cards for Simic are just not that great. Well, there was Risen Reef, but apart from that, <coughs> well, I did play against Simic Madness. Uh, if that was your first competitive deck, I I'm, I'm qualified for a pro by by mercilessly beating on the blue green madness. Um, so color pairs by win rate. Uh, Boros number one, fifty nine point four percent win rate, and this is again something that we see time and time again. Boros has an insanely high win rate as a two color combination. Um, this, by the way, takes into account uh, both the uh, pure two color decks and the ones with a splash. Um, and it's weighted, of course. So 59.4% win rate for Boros, 58.7% uh, for Gruul. And this is like the first two tiers of the two color decks, basically, uh, Boros and Gruul. Uh, then there's Is It, slightly lower at 579 Top three color combinations all have red. That's something to uh, for you to keep in mind. Then there's Azorius, 57.3%, uh, Golgari, 56.6%. Uh, so in the first, in the first five combinations, we have all colors represented, but not equally. Three red archetypes, um, uh, two blue archetypes, uh, only one black, two green, and uh, two, three red. So basically, uh, you have slightly more red, slightly less black. Uh, but it's the same with Gruel. Uh, a real pizza hand is asking, what do you make of is it being number three and win rate, but low on play percentage? So if you uh, if you look um, if you look back, Gruel and is it roughly same play levels? Um, Gruel slightly more because of the splashing, um, but they have quite high win rates. I think that part of the good win rate is they are underdrafted. Specifically, red is being underdrafted. Uh, so yeah, I think that um, part of those win rates is red is particularly open. And I'm pretty sure it will not be open in two weeks. So this is the moment to play uh, those decks, uh, which makes me again think that there is a good chance that Azorius will slightly go up after two weeks as people will be higher on red because they will be higher on red. Necessarily black and white, I think, will be more open and, and we might see slightly better results for those. Is it the right time? Yes. Is it? It is. Good one. I, I appreciate that. Um, mainly because I don't have to make that joke. Um, so yeah, Azorius Golgari, 57.3, 56.6, 56 56.5 for Ragdos, which Ragdos seems to be a victim of black being overdrafted. Uh, because red is open, we know that, and red is strong, and Ragdos looks like a strong combination. 
which probably means that black is slightly overdrafted. And because black being slightly overdrafted, Raptor's decks don't come together. They're super synergy based. So you want to have the right mixture of uh, cards from both colors if you want to play it and just don't get access to those. Then Demir 50.6, Selesnya 55.2, <coughs> Ors of 54.4 and Simic 53.5. So Simic is underdrafted and in this case, also underperforming, which is not uh, which is not a good indicator for the future of Simic decks. However, there is always the case that Simic decks are hard to build. They will not come together in the first week because you need to know exactly which cards you want. And uh, sometimes just putting those couple of extra cards that you don't put in the first week are going to change quite a lot how you play. Pa -pa -da -pa -da -pa -da. Done. So I have the uh, last ish part of the seminar i'm going to be talking about win rates of cards i'm not going to talk about all of them i'm just going to focus on the top card the hidden gem and by hidden gem uh in some cases it's the card that has a high win rate in this particular color but is picked quite late in some cases it's just the second card because uh, uh in some categories there was just not enough of um uh, of high winning cards that they would find a gem. So that, that was the problem. Hey, Mad Moses, thank you for the raid. Always a pleasure. Um, yeah, how was your stream? Hope it was good. Um, we're just uh, finished our grueling uh, uh, climb through the metagame and how this format looks like. So far, uh, just to give you a recap, two color format with some larger than normally number of monocolor decks. Um, two color decks are doing the best going up with color seems to be not so beneficial. Uh, playing mono uh, is acceptable, and people in the chat showed that they did it. Uh, most played deck Rakdos. Um, best decks seem to be Boros Gruel. Is it mainly because red seems to be open um, uh, in the first days? Again, data based on two days, so keep in mind sample size is not exactly the biggest. So now we're going to talk about top cards, um, and it's going to be color commons and uncommons in each color, plus some artifacts, and then the last things I'm going to talk about the signpost and commons a bit. Um, okay, that's an interesting thought. So Chronic, uh, we're going to I'm, I'm, I'm going to chat about it when I come to the Parson Engineer, but let's start with the Scrapwork cohort, and this is is a surprise to me in a way. Like I didn't anticipate it before the format started, but I played a bit. And this card was such a pain to deal with. The fact that it leaves those random one ones um, is mighty annoying. Uh, the free one buddy is trading with quite a lot of the stuff. Um, and then you get it back and you get another one of those one ones that stopped me from killing my opponent a couple of times. And the, uh, it was very hard to raise that card against an aggressive shell. So, uh, and also it looks like a four drop, but so often this is the only thing I can spend my power stone uh, mana on. So it realistically costs two mana very frequently. And a two mana three one that makes a one one is really, really good. And if you have any artifact fault triggers, then yes, of course it's good. But 60.7% game and win rate, really solid. That's another surprise for me, the uh, um, Aeronaut Calv Cav Cavalry. God, I always mix up Calvary. No, Calvary is when you take a cross up the mountain. Cavalry is when you go on a horse and charge. Um, <coughs> a three four flyer in this format seems to be good. That's it. The fact that it puts a plus one, plus one counter almost on in any deck, not even only in the blue-white, because there's plenty of soldiers hidden everywhere, uh, is, an, is, a, is, is a plus. Uh, really solid numbers for two days already. 59.7% um, game and hand win rate. I will definitely start picking this card higher. Uh, I also lost to it in my pre-release, uh, even though I had like a 
really bomb laden uh, pool. So um, uh, it was slightly annoying that I lost to it, but I lost to it. And that made me notice the card much more closer. Um, so these two cards look absolutely stellar. Um, Cavalry is also not picked very highly. Um, so yeah, don't sleep on the Cavalry. Uh, start picking it slightly higher or start uh, making sure that you put it in your um, deck. Yes, five mana three four flyer is a boomer card, but maybe it's a boomer format. You know, it's 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 coming back to the times of Urza and Mishra. What's more boomer than that, brothers? War. Um, now, Powerstone Engineer seems to have a slightly um, lower win rate uh, than I would expect. It's a two drop that um, dies into a Powerstone. Two drop, two one. Um, Chronic thirty three wrote, "I found Powerstone Engineer to be good in Rakdos Splash White." Why it doesn't make that good use of power stones, and that might be the problem that uh, you basically make this power stone and just like extra piece of cardboard that you don't have a good use for. That's why maybe scrap work cohort is decent because you can find some use for those uh, power stones. Um, <clears throat> uh, something all the small creatures uh, in white have keywords. I wonder if cavalry is helping those get better. Example, uh, a two-two life linker is much better than the one-one. It's very, very, very possible. You know, putting it on uh, on random creatures with uh, abilities is going to be quite useful, especially flying or, or even vigilance. Um, <clears throat> top cards in white and commons. Like, first of all, I want to uh, mark that there is maybe, and I'm, I'm going to look at it um, uh, specifically. Uh, there is three good white uncommons, and I think that this is a part of the weakness of the uh, of the uh, color. There's static net, um, the card that I showed uh, well, is a top uncommon. It's like really insane win rate, sixty three point three is um, uh, exceptionally good. Very easy to splash as well, so keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> then the hidden gem, which is not very well hidden, it's still a highly picked card. It has a smaller also than uh, the other top cards. That's why I picked it. Is the um, Recruitment officer. I, I listened to a podcast about constructed, and they said that this is basically like the uh, one mana flash spirit that you can tap for and draw a card, um, because that's exactly what it is. It's a one drop, quite aggressively started, and later in the game when you can't attack with it anymore, it will just draw you some cards on occasion. So um, yeah, great, great combo. High win rate, sixty-one percent. Um, and the other. Good card in white is the uh, seven mana artifact, the three three double striker that draws a card at ATV, and that's it. That's basically it. All the other um, uncommons have a huge drop off instantly. Like just to give you an impression, Combat Thresher, the um, uh, the seven mana three three double striker, has a sixty point six percent win rate, and number four mass production fifty five point five. So there's a five percentage point difference between the top three and uh, uh, and the rest and the, and the fourth. Um, <clears throat> which makes me think that white is really shallow at the uncommon level. Um, the trap, Lauren, disciple of history, four mana, three three legendary creature. When it um, uh, or another legendary creature you, uh, enters the battlefield under your control, return target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. Um, I have very disappointing numbers on it. It's just like returning an artifact is not the same as being a grave digger, uh, and, and keep that in mind. I thought that the card would be slightly better. I know that there won't be many uh, legends in your um, legendary creatures in specific in your decks because this is not, no longer Dominaria United. Um, but yeah, game in hand win rate 53.3 is pretty low. Like that's shockingly low actually when you think about it. Um, so yeah, uh, 
especially that the card is picked quite highly, you might want to reevaluate it. Doesn't work as well as promised. Uh, blue, blue has slightly lower win rate in general. Like, look, top card in white, 60.7. Top card in blue, uh, 59.4. Uh, and it's Combat Courier, something I did not expect to be that good. But I guess you play it as a one-drop, you do two points of damage, sacrifice it, draw a card, maybe um, even uh, prevent like free damage through that. And then you can unearth it and draw a card instantly at some stage of uh, of the game when you have enough mana. <coughs> the fact that the sacrifice is colorless, you can utilize Power Stones to do that, seems good. But 59.4 is very surprising. Um, uh, to me at least. But keep in mind that this is uh, by far the best blue common. Um, My Stone Animation, 57.1% is third on that list. It's a good card, 57.1 is decent, but if that's the third best blue common, that's that's quite far from everything. Um, and it uh, and it drops off very, very rapidly. My Stone Animation, I'm pretty sure that the card's power, uh, win rate will improve because people will learn how to play it with it properly. I think that there might be a case of people uh, playing it too optimistically and, uh, and and just basically getting blown out uh, by not waiting a couple of turns with it. Um, because if you play it well, it is a 4-4 haste um, and draw a card, but if you play it badly, it's, oh no, they spent one mana to not only slow me down, but um, uh, but also uh, uh, two for one me. Uh, the trap I selected is uh, Wing Commando. It doesn't have like a terrible win rate, but it's picked really, really, really high compared to the other cards that have the same kind of win rate. Uh, so the ALSA for Wing Commando is 4.8. The ALSA for Combat Courier is 5.8. And the ALSA for Mindstone Mind Animation is 6.6. Um, ALSA, for those of you that don't know, is the average last seen as, which is sort of proxy for how do um, arena users like a particular card. The lower the number, the more they like it. So one, you never see it uh, unless you open it. Uh, and if the higher it goes, the, the, the bigger the chance that it will wheel, for example. Um, feed the Goblin Blast Runners. Is the Goblin Blast Runner the one mana, one, two, that uh, gets plus two, plus oh, and menace until end of turn? Uh, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, in terms of uncommons, that's even poorer than uh, than white was. So uh, white had three good uncommons. Um, blue has two, and both of them are on the slide. There's stop their mechanic, sixty-three point five, great card, fantastic card. Um, when you draw a second card each turn, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. Uh, when it dies, create a one one topter. So uh, you always have like some kind of a. Um, uh, some kind of a benefit from it because you get a flyer if they kill it. If they don't kill it, it becomes quickly quite big and um, um, can apply some proper pressure. And Zephyr Sentinel, two mana, flash, <gasps> sorry, <laughs> flash flying. Um, uh, I mean, that's already great. Two mana with flash and flying. It's a soldier, so it has types, but also. <coughs> When it comes uh, uh, to the battlefield, you can return up to up to, so you don't have to, but you can return up to one target creature. You control to its owner hand. If it was a soldier, put a plus one plus one counter on Zephyr Sentinel. Um, my second draft this uh, um, this season, I uh, played Zephyr Sentinel to uh, return the four five red dragon that my opponent targeted with removal. Um, so not only I managed to save it from removal, but then I have got my second uh, enter the battlefield trigger with it, dealing for damage. 
was great. It felt really good. Um, and I won the game thanks to that because, um, uh, well, basically I needed a dragon to win. That's why I didn't play out the Sentinel earlier because I thought that better plan to protect my bomb. Um, uh, and then there is a drop of like, uh, after Zephyr Sentinel, uh, the next um, the next uh, game in hand win rate card is um, Spotter Thopter, the eight mana, four five flyer that can be a two three flyer um, for four mana and it scries two, it scries X when X is its power at ETP. Uh, but that one is already 57.5. So there's a big drop off in game of hand win rate. Um, and a trap that I found is the Hulking Metamorph. So it's a nine mana seven seven, but uh, it also can be a four mana three three. Um, and it gains abilities of uh, a card that you control. Uh, so um, yeah, people, as someone in chat, uh, Blackwater Sunset uh, mentions, uh, it quite often is just a four mana three three flyer, but it's a four mana with two pips in it, which is quite a price to pay. Um, because, you know, if you have a flying creature, you can just basically copy the uh, ability of the flying creature. Um, and yeah, like Water Sunset uh, remarks that probably people try to play the nine mana version too hard and it's easily blown up uh, even at this uh, nine mana option. Uh, I think that this card has potential, but you probably need to build more carefully and maybe you should be more content playing it on curve as something uh, rather than waiting forever. Uh, <coughs> Hi, Eric. Uh, Eric Infinite Breakfast uh, in the chat. I must have fallen for the trap. Uh, if that is the case, uh, uh, I've been liking the card. Uh, look, um, I don't think it's a bad card uh, on principles. I just think that um, it may be bad, badly played in the in the first weeks. So uh, I'm pretty sure that the win rate of that one will improve. But I wanted to note that this is a very highly picked card. Um, and uh, has a pretty abysmal win rate for now, at least. It's not an assembly worker, is it? The shapeshifter doesn't mean that it has changeling uh, in this set, at least. Right. Um, black, well, the top common is overwhelming remorse. 60.9% um, uh, win rate, excellent. Speculated that this card is going to be great. Um, um, and it is great, it seems. Uh, will be very frequently three mana, two mana uh, exile uh, target creature or planeswalker, which is great. Um, so no no, no need for talking about it, especially if we talk about removal specifically. Um, the hidden gem of black is that, that, that I selected is uh, Gix's Caress. That's the three mana coercion variant. Um, and it is... Oh, it is the second best uh, black common uh, so far in terms of win rate. So um, probably better than most people anticipated. I thought that the card is going to be solid, um, maybe like upper middle of the pack, but it looks like it's better at least uh, for now. Um, I don't know how many copies are too many yet, Mad Moses, but I'm pretty sure you can play two if you have ways of using power stones. If you don't have ways of using power stones, probably play just one. But um, yeah, you, you have to make sure that you have two drops or something that you can play a turn three this and not get behind. So you either want to play a two drop to stabilize the board slightly, or you want to play um, a five drop on turn four because you played Kix's Caress and you wrapped yourself to it. So that's, I think, the way to use the card. But it seems 59.7% win rate. It's quite easy to, um, uh, to get something. Uh, yeah, it's to remove the haymakers from the opponent to 
remove get, get to snag the removal i think like big part of this format is that removal is really strong removal has really high win rates and um getting rid of that removal from opponent's hands is uh, ruining the strategy because without removal this format is really hard to deal uh, i think with server this types of cards and often if you play something that is black with big things uh, you might keep it for the later game play it make sure you remove that removal play your big thing and you know that you're free if you see that there's multiple removals play a decoy card that uh, sort of they need to remove but don't play your best one and uh, you know you can win the game like that <coughs> i think that be, being able to play this and then ramping into a five drop and that stabilizes you is one of the options yeah exactly one to king take the bomb or the things that deals with your bomb um the card that is underperforming and uh i put it as a trap question mark because i don't know if they are traps yet they just have an early low win rate uh gixian skull flyer um flare flare skull skull flare yeah there we go um firex and human assassin um three mana two three and at the beginning of upkeep if there are three or more creature cards in your graveyard put a plus one plus one counter on gixian skull flare um I played against this card a lot and it was sort of like annoying, but you always managed to deal with it. And that's the important part of it. I think that that's like, that's the problem with it. And it leads to, it leads to bad kind of um, play patterns. Like when you try to wait in a deck that doesn't have time to wait. Uh, I, I found it because I was playing against this uh, with my deck that was having a lot of late game. And my opponents were just like playing this, waiting a bit. They couldn't talk because it was too small. Then they had to somehow fill their graveyard, which was beneficial for me because they went for trades that I wanted. And then finally, when they switched on this card, I just dealt with it easily and uh, it never did anything. And the win rate sort of confirms it. I'm pretty sure that there is going to be some Golgari decks that can turbo it out um, and you can mill quite a lot. You know, you play uh, turn two, um, um, Blunt with Prowler, mill some creatures, get the land, play turn three this and turn four Gigamole or something, and maybe you get to those um, um, three creatures in the graveyard. But is it worth that? Isn't it better to play a better free drop instead? Isn't it better to play Gix's Caress and make sure you get a good deal out of it? I'm pretty sure it is. Um, uncommons. And this was a big surprise to me. I, I'm not kidding. Ashnot's Harvester, uh, the top black uncommon, 60.7% um, win rate. It's a 3-1 for two mana artifact creature that uh, whenever it attacks, exile a target card from a graveyard and it has an earth uh, for two mana. So it seems that targeting graveyard is a pretty powerful uh, ability in, um, in this format. Uh, <coughs> now, of course, um, you have to keep in mind it's still early days and, and, and the sample sizes are not majestic, but we're we're talking here about 1,800 games um, uh, for the uh, for the Ashton's Harvester uh, to get that win rate. Um, so yeah, 60.7 is quite high. Just to give you an impression, number two is Go for the Throat, um, uh, the removal, and that has 59.8% game and win rate. And number three of the uh, black uncommons is well it's two cards really but uh is corrupt with 58.4 uh i put it as a hidden gem because there's a slower slightly lower alsa a slightly higher alsa which means that we'll go slightly late um real pizza and my first draft in the format was uh mono black with two corrupts and uh, it didn't trophy um but 
uh, yeah, I, I, I got a lot of mana flood uh, in, in a couple of games, and that was the reason. And I made probably I should have picked more card draw in that those decks, especially the one that you can pay to life draw to cards because with a couple of corrupts I can easily bounce back my life. But the highlight of that game of one of the games was opponent playing this uh, was it is it five mana golem from the retro archive that makes two copies of itself. But when I target the main golem, it targets every single other golem with the same spell, and I played corrupt for eight into the first golem and gained twenty four life. Um, so yeah, that was fun. Uh, <clears throat> but Corrupt is great, but make sure you build it uh, correctly. I think that Corrupt will probably should always be um, should always be in a mono, mono shell. Really discard you want to be mono. Or you want to have cards that enable it. We're, we're going to talk about it in a second. Um, but I don't think it's very difficult to... If you have a Corrupt early, let's say pick four, you see Corrupt, snap pick, and then try to build yourself around a black deck and if you can't uh, take the flask or whatever it's called, that turns everything into a swamp, because then you can play corrupt and then hopefully still um, um, manage to kill your opponent. Uh, but a card is really powerful. Uh, it just requires a bit of build building around. Elsewhere flask, yeah, that's the one. Uh, which is a good card in a black deck anyway, because it's a draw a card artifact that you can sacrifice later as a sacrifice trigger, or you can sacrifice to ability um, uh, because you drew a card from it already, so it's pure upside for you. Um, <clears throat> um, the trap that I found was the Battlefield Booter. I was high on this card before the format was released. I thought it was pretty strong. Five mana, uh, three mana, uh, one four, and five mana tap. Each opponent loses two life. It costs one less to activate for each creature card in your graveyard. Um, it's a good body, one four for three mana, uh, it seems, and it aligns with the format, it seems, but somehow it just doesn't do enough. I think that it probably people are afraid of blocking with it because they are afraid of being blown out by a combat trick. And because of that, it just serves as an enchantment-ish thing that can um, uh, drain to life. And maybe people block too frequently with it and tricks are real. I don't know exactly, but something doesn't align with it. Um, and probably there is just enough of incidental graveyard hate that uh, um, it can have a problem. And also, possibly, if that becomes a, an issue, people can kill it quite easily. <coughs> Sorry, I have a bit of a cough. Uh, top red common, Scrapwork Mud. Did, did anyone have that on their, on their list uh, of top red commons? I mean, I knew it's a good card. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I knew it's a good card. But it turns out to be amazing. Like 61.7% uh, win rate, that's a lot. And red has quite high win rates in general. It seems like the strongest color because it's underdrafted. So don't think that red is the strongest color in point. It is a strong color. I think that large part of the success of red is that it's wide open. Um, two mana colorless Ramager is surprisingly good for fixing hand. That's true. And the late in the game, uh, it just basically draws a card because you just get rid of a land. So it's, um, dare we say it, a Mold Drifter. It's just Mold Drifter. Um, so that's the top common. Um, uh, just to give you the impression of other um, good commons in red, um, we have Excavation Explosion, which is just behind um, Scrapwork Mud. And we have Penregan Strongbull, um, again, over 60% win rate uh, and really, really high ALSA. This card wheels probably like 60% of the time. Uh, <coughs> but still, Penregan Strongbull didn't make my list of the hidden gems. Because Goblin Blast Runner 
has an even higher ALSA, which means this card almost always wheels and it has almost 60% win rate, which is insane and will not last for long. So while you can do it, just get on the Goblin Blast Runner um, um, train and make sure, play as many as you can, have some uh, sacrifice synergies and boom, voila, there is your deck. Um, turning three one drops into uh, uh, three two menace creatures will win games, especially when you have things to support them and, uh, you know, attacking with like one drop three two menace and playing the plus two plus oh first strike trick on it when the opponent is forced to um, uh, block it is going to lead to some massive blowouts. Uh, the trap for the color Blitz Automaton because it's very highly picked and it doesn't have impressive numbers. 56.1 is not terrible, it's just about average. But considered uh, uh, the ALSA of the card, um, which is blah, 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 5.5, uh, uh, and considering Penregan Strongbull has 7.5, so whole two picks later, and that scrap work mod, the top uh, red common, has more or less the same kind of ALSA as the, um, um, as the 56% win rate card. Now that makes me think uh, uh, it is highly uh, overvalued uh, for now at least. Pa-pa-pam, let's go. Uh, Blackwater Sunset, does Red have Sacrifice or do you need to be Rakdos? Now, A, as Industrial Strength uh, mentioned, there is the Strong Bull, which is just good enough. But B, there are things like Evolving Wilds, it triggers on it, so uh, keep in mind. Uh, there is plenty of the uh, retro-framed uncommons, uh, like uh, the Star, and there is the... Flask uh, and bunch of bunch of uh, Soul Guide Lantern, all those things um, easily um, easily sacrifice and trigger it. You just need to trigger it in the right times. So you don't need to trigger it every single uh, turn. But um, but yeah. Oh, the bubble. No, Ta Jordan. There is no bubble. This is hilarious. If you didn't know, by the way, Wizards um, uh, sort of forgot to put uh, uh, Mishra's bubble in the draft boosters. <laughs> Mr. Bumble was open zero times so far in 17 lands. Yay. They claim that they know about the issue and they're going to fix it. So, uh, yeah. The real hidden gem. It's so well hidden that no one can find it. Which, you know, it, it is a big change in the um, in the format because you will get those uh, couple of bubbles in some decks making it much more strong. <coughs> yeah, the black-red uncommon with the goblin is great. And, of course, it's going to be better in the black-red, but it does not have to be only in the black-red. I'm pretty sure you can play it in a mono-red with the artifact synergies that there are, and plenty of artifacts can be sacrificed quite easily. Da -da 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 -dum. Let's move on. Oh, another card that you can sacrifice in mono-red, uh, the hidden gem, Mishra's Research Desk. Um, Giant Cindermaw is the top uncommon, 63.3. That's a very high win rate. I played with the card. It's phenomenal. Um, it it wins games because I played it and then my opponent started casting those six, five uh, artifacts that gain life and it was doing, they were doing nothing and amazing. So Jordan, I played Evolving Wilds in my mono black because I couldn't decide if I want to play 15 or 16 lands. So I just put Evolving Wilds for the other sacrifice things. It's, I think it's fine to play uh, Evolving Wilds in the mono deck because it allows you to filter and that's still worth it. Uh, and if you have some sacrifice synergies, it's just absolutely perfect. Um, right, let's let's look at the red uncommons. Um, red uncommon roster looks pretty deep, so you have like at least six good uncommons, or yeah, five good uncommons in in, in those colors. But uh, Cindermo is definitely clearly the best. Uh, 
Horns uh, Stone Seeker did two mana, uh, two two menace, uh, make a Power Stone, and that sacrifice that if it dies is close behind. And then there is uh, Obliterating Bolt uh, in number three uh, in terms of the top uncommons. But Cindermore is the first one. Look at it: three mana, four three Trample, and players can gain life, which is not just a trinket text. So um, quite cool. Um, the hidden gem is Mishra's Research Desk because that's the card that people might sleep on um, uh, still. It has Elsa of 6.3, which means it wheels probably around 40% of the time right now. And it shouldn't because the card is good. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, lots of top cards being unearthed creatures and trap cards being prototype creatures makes me wonder whether that's mainly because the unearthed creatures are the better cards or because the prototype creatures are generally picked very highly at the moment. I think it's both. The unearthed creatures and the unearthed spells in general look really strong. Like they have really strong numbers. They, the fact that you can unearth using the power stones is great. Um, uh, the fact that you can cast them using power stone is great because they will allow you to double spell very frequently if you have a couple of power stones on board. Uh, so yeah, they're really strong. While they are giving you enough value, all, most of them, that you disenchanting them doesn't give you any like value. Prototypes very frequently are just dumb. These are the cards that are you play it, they kill it. Oh well, we went for one, but I spent two mana on my thing, and you spent seven mana on your thing. You're behind on mana on that exchange quite a lot. So one prototype that we saw in the presentation early as uh, oh we we didn't see it actually, but we talked about it. Uh, was the uh, the white uncommon, the seven mana, three, three double striker that draws a card instantly because it draws a card. So it gives you something on ATB, doesn't become a dumb card. This is a very heavy, so far, at least in the early days, very heavy remo removal centric format. And dumb things are not particularly good in the removal heavy formats because you play a dumb thing, it gets killed. You're behind on the exchange because you spent nine mana. Uh, <coughs> so yeah. Here we see another prototype thing being a sort of trap um, uh, and another unearthed thing being a hidden gem. Mishra's research is sort of, uh, as someone said uh, quite correctly, sort of like experimental synthesizer uh, with some interesting usage of it. Hey, Migusho. I'm sorry I didn't do top 20, but uh, rest assured you're in top 20 all-time uh, trophies in 17 lands. Um, so yeah, the trap for that uh, color uh, combination in Uncommons um, is the Falaji Dragon Engine, eight mana, five, five flyer, uh, for two mana, it gets plus one, plus oh, until end of turn. And again, big dumb thing that uh, doesn't do much. I'm pretty sure it might be a decent card played just as a three mana, one, three, and maybe like slowly pinging the opponent. <laughs> Depends on how many power stone you have to, uh, to actually, uh, pump it. But you play it for 8 mana, and again, if opponent has removal, just like straight up, you're down on mana on that exchange. Uh, green. Top common, Gaia's Gift. Hey, this is our uh, combat trick of the uh, format so far. Gaia's Gift, 2 mana, instant, plus 1. Put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on target creature you control. It gains reach, trample, hexproof, and indestructible until end of turn. Now this card just does what you want. It's the same as uh, take up the shield from Dominaria United, the same as feat of um, resistance in um, uh, in M21, was it? Um, so yeah, just very good combat trick for two mana, 
that does a lot to help you uh, win those combat games. I still think, didn't draft it yet because I didn't have the right pod, but I still think that there is the uh, red-green combat tricks prowess deck in this format, and Gaia's Gift is going to be a very important part of it. Still goes relatively late, um, um, so you can have access to it and don't sleep on that. Elsa of seven uh, wheels 50-60% of the time uh, uh, as a rule of thumb. Uh, it has a 60.5% win rate. Hidden Gem is Burrowing Razor more. Um, I don't know exactly in which deck it goes, but it has um, a thousand games played, which is not an extremely large sample size. Um, Argothian Opportunist, the guy that makes a Power Stone, uh, or actually, no, it's a Gal. Um, an Argothian that makes a Power Stone, the 3 2, um, has the win rate of 59.2 but it has a five and a half times higher, uh, larger uh, sample size. Um, but yeah, 4-2 is, is a beatdown card. And um, also, I guess the mill synergies might do something in the late game for you. Uh, yeah, but three mana 4-2 is just a lot of power on the board. Uh, and the trap, well, if it isn't a Rust Goliath, a 10 mana 10-10 with Reach and Trample. Dumb thing. Doesn't do anything on ETB and costs a lot of mana and dies to disenchant. Again, no bueno. These cards are just not working in this format, it seems. Uh, time and time again, we see those uh, cards. Uh, we see those cards underperforming. And just to give you an another comparison, uh, the Boulder Branch uh, Golem, uh, the seven mana six five that gains life equals to its power at ETB. Uh, this one has fifty eight point eight percent win rate because it does something at ETB. So even if the opponent uses the removal on them, huh, you'll gain six life. Uh, so you're not behind on that thing. I think that this format is like vanilla creatures are just not good enough. Uh, talking about non-vanilla creatures, uh, here we have Obstinate Baleth, uh, four mana, four, four, uh, gains for life at ATB. There you go, not the vanilla. And if someone discards it, uh, <coughs> <coughs> put it onto the battlefield instead of putting it into your graveyard. I don't think it will come um, be important at any stage in this format, but just the 4-4, uh, the gains for life for 4 is good enough, 60.6% win rate. Um, yeah. And the hidden gem, uh, if NCAA is still in the chat, um, uh, yeah, we nailed it with uh, with um, with Jason. Uh, in the previous season, uh, we were disputing this particular card. And it turns out it's good, um, at least initially. It has a 60.6% win rate, uh, equal with the Baloth, uh, and is picked much less than the Baloth is. Um, it's a two-man artifact. For X, you can sacrifice it and make an XX Golem, um, and you can unearth it, so you can basically cast a X minus three creature, uh, where X is the number of mana you have access to. Again, using power stones, which is quite useful, I think, because it's a very good sync for those power stones. And I think, you know, it can play out like you, you play it on some turn and you play a 5-5 five, five, and then you wait a couple of turns and you play on like another 5-5 five, five or something. Um, and the surprising trap for this color at uncommon level is Bushwhack. I thought that this card is going to be great. It looks like it's not. Um, fight spells are in general underperforming, as I showed you in the removal section of the seminar. And uh, Bushwhack is particularly uh, underperforming. It's only 55.7% win rate, and it's a very high pick. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's that.
Uh, and interesting points. Balath and Musk of the Jade Crafter are really standout um, uncommons for green. So again, all the colors don't have that a long bench in terms of how uh, how quality are their uncommons. Um, over 60% win rate, uh, we have three in white, two in blue, one in black only, but black has a pretty decent 59-58% uh, win rate card, so that's different. Then we have three in red and um, and uh, and two in green. Uh, and then there's a big drop because third uh, green uncommon alloy animist, the one one that can uh, animate uh, artifacts, 58% win rate. So two and a half percentage point lower than um, uh, than the mask and the ballot, 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 whatever. Uh, we are left with the artifacts and they do badly. I mean. Top artifact energy refractor uh, 56.5. That's barely the average of 17 lines user. I do like my refractor, um, but uh, the numbers are not great, partially because it's played in everything. So it will uh, be played in wrong decks for it quite frequently, I'm pretty sure. One card that I said uh, may be a hidden gem supply drop, three mana flash. And when it enters the battlefield, target creature control gets plus two, plus two. Uh, and then you can sacrifice it to draw a card. It's clunky, um, but it's light picked and has one of the better win rates for uh, colorless common artifacts. And a big trap, um, a stone retrieval unit, four mana, two, three makes a power stone. It's just not good. It's uh, too slow. Like keep in mind the green three, two, four, three has a 58% win rate. So adding one mana to that ability and removing a bit of aggression is a big problem. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, just uh, makes it complicated. And 2-3 is just too small for that price. Yeah, I think you're right. In terms of uncommon artifacts, uh, Reconstructed Topter, better than I expected. 3-mana 2-1 flyer with Unearth, 58.2% uh, win rate. So, uh, yeah, not bad at all. Hidden Gem, Levitating Statue. Um, it has only 56% win rate, uh, so it's not super great, but it's an uncommon colorless card. I think that um, <coughs> once people start animating it, that becomes pretty good because if you play the uh, animating aura on the levitating statue, it becomes like a 5-5 five, five, uh, flyer with haste that draws a card. So that's pretty good. I mean, obviously it will become a big, big, big target for the next removal. But if you manage to play it in the right timing and you know that you're not going to be blown out, you at least draw a card from the other thing and you smash for five. And maybe if you played some spells earlier for more. Uh, so think about that co little mini combo. Uh, 56, decent. I'm going to play with that card a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm going to play with the card a lot. Uh, and it's just going to be uh, my downfall in terms of gem. Uh, the trap, Steel Exemplar, five mana, four for trample. If you only spend mana of one color or zero colors, um, it, it becomes a six, six. Sorry. <sighs> six, six with trample. But of course, it's still a dumb creature that doesn't do anything on ATB, which might be its problem. And not in every deck. But I'm pretty sure that uh, later in the format, we will see some kind of a uh, monocolor decks that can actually use it efficiently. Remains to be seen. And top retro cards, I'm only looking at the uncommons. Chromatic Star is the best one of them all. 58% win rate. Uh, it's really solid for one drop uh, artifact. It fixes your mana. It draws your card. It has sacrifice synergies. It has draw two cards synergies. It has artifacts enter the battlefield synergies. Like lots of things. That's Definitely the golden egg of the format, uh, albeit at uncommon level, but uh, I mean, really solid card. The fact also that you have to keep in mind is that 
it, you draw a card if it's put into a graveyard from the battlefield. So uh, you can sacrifice it to any other effect, and you still um, and you still uh, get the draw effect. Uh, and hidden gem is the Elsewhere Flask. This card also does quite a lot. It's a two mana artifact that draws a card, which gives you the synergies. You can cast it using the Power Stones. Um, you will draw a card, so you also activate those draw two card synergies, and <coughs> You can, especially played with the corrupt in a non-monocolor black deck. When you have this one corrupt, you stick the elsewhere flask on board, collect lands. When you draw the corrupt, sacrifice it, make every land a swamp, boom, hit them for twelve. Um, so yeah, lots of little things, um, but uh, 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 quite a useful thing. It has a high win rate enough of fifty-seven point four. Uh, boo, 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 boo. Trap Swiftfoot Boots. I still think that there will be a deck that can use it quite efficiently, but maybe it just doesn't do enough as a card. Um, but 48.9% game and hand win rate is just poor. And let's be honest about it. So I'm, I'm even I'm going to be careful about using it. Right, that's the lists. We only have one slide left, and that's the signpost and common rankings. Um, so I think that most of them are good. Two of them are uh, uh, markedly worse than everything else. But we have also a clear winner in Skyfisher Spider. The um, uh, it is a Golgari, isn't it? Uh, Golgari four mana three three reach. When it enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice um, a creature and uh, is it creature or artifact? And you can destroy a non-land permanent. Um, Great card, just like removal on a stick. Um, it fun it's fantastic. When you think about it, that uh, you have the um, the power stone removal uh, in black for two mana, sacrifice a creature or an artifact, uh, destroy target creature. This one would mean that uh, the three three reach spider costs two mana for that, which is great. So uh, yeah, just play it. Okay, you can only sacrifice a creature. Yeah, that's good. Um, Still, it's a really strong power, and also if it dies, it might give gain you some life, but also there are ways to recur it and blah, 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 whatever. I mean, great card, 65.6 uh, win rate. That's the best uncommon in the format, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm not mistaken. It's the best uncommon in the format. Uh, and with a gap, like two percentage points higher than the um, uh, Thopter mechanic. So yeah, pick it high. I think that the win rates on the first five are high enough that they should be like considered first picking if you don't have a good rare in your pack. 62.3, Evangel of Synthesis, the blue-black 2-3. Uh, when you draw a second card each turn, it gets plus 1, plus 0, oh, and menace until end of turn. So like really good aggressive creature, can push quite a lot of damage early, um, uh, and, and even late can, uh, can make attack alls beneficial for you. <coughs> Sorry. Um, number three, third path iconoclast. Play the deck with two of those. It's great. It's just great. I told you that there's lots of X ones, um, um, and yeah, the one one soldiers are important. You can go wide enough to deal enough damage. I had games when I had uh, two iconoclasts on board. I cast a couple of spells, and all of a sudden I was just attacking with like seven, eight of those one one soldiers. They were getting slaughtered, but they were going through for five damage, and that was enough to. Uh, win me the game. Ocean um, Tactician, uh, that's the 4 mana 3 4 that gives soldiers plus 1 plus 0. Uh, solid win rate 60.3. Uh, 
thinking that uh, Azorius has a win rate of roughly the average win rate for the format, it means that your tactician improves your white blue decks, which means that you, your white blue decks want to be the soldier deck that has this kind of thing. And uh, number five, Junkyard Genius. Again, had three of them in my trophy deck. The card is just great. Ramps you. It wins you late game, which is even probably more. It was much more relevant the sacrifice uh, to give uh, sacrifice something to give your creatures menace than the ramping in in my particular deck. It just worked fantastically. Yeah, great. Um, and just below that top tier, we have Falaji Vongard, the uh, four mana two three with first strike. Where before your attack, it gives plus two plus zero to uh, a target creature control. So it sort of enters with two power of haste damage. Um, Arbalest Engineers, just below that, uh, 59.3 win rate. Uh, that's the uh, Gruul one, uh, a 2-2 two -two with ATB, either plus one, plus one counter and haste, or deal one damage to any target, or make a Power Stone. Very versatile, um, yeah, just, just, just very solid card. Again, it's not far off, like, it's 1% between Ocean Tactician, Junkyard Genius, Falaji, Vanguard, and Arbalest Engineers. Then we have Slide Drop, Hero of the Dunes. I think this Orzov deck is going to be strong, but we need to work on it. We need to figure out the best build builds. It looks like there are cards in there. Um, it just needs to be black. It needs to be slightly more open, and it will because people will draft more red, and uh, some more technology should be uh, worked on for the uh, Orzov deck to become uh, successful. Uh, but solid, still 58.4, nothing to be ashamed of. And then we have a drop and the two uh, cards that are really uh, uh, falling behind. Battery Bearer. I think that Jordan nailed it in the comments. Uh, uh, Battery Bearer, uh, just to remind you, is... Uh, um, uh, what's the name? Where is the Battery Bearer? Come on, come on, Battery Bearer. Color, multicolor. There we go. Battery Bearer is the four mana, three, four. Creatures you control have tap, add one mana. This mana can be spent to cast non-artifact spells. So basically turns your creatures into power stones. And it gives whenever you cast an artifact spell with mana six or greater, draw a card. <coughs> so technically should be good, but you need to be really playing a lot of um, those big cards. And you really need to be able to use um, those um, power stone mana at every stage of the game. And it just doesn't seem to be working. Uh, 56% win rate is on average, so it's not a disaster, but we're talking about the prime uncommon. They should have higher win rate than the um, than the average for the color, because if they don't, what's the point? I think that this is the problem, that the, uh, if the battery bearer would turn your things into uh, mana dorks, would be better, but uh, uh, it doesn't. No, 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 it, 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 you, you can cast artifacts, but you can also use abilities with battery bearer, uh, so that's fine. <laughs> Okay, the journal. let's not exaggerate. He's just claiming that Battery Bear is just a gigamole that missed. It's slightly better than that. But it just probably promotes bad deck building. That's, I think, the problem with it. Um, so maybe we're going to get, like, uh, maybe we're going to get some technology that uh, allows it to be better and catch up a bit. But that remains to be seen. And the last place is Yoshan Descent. This <laughs> Yoshan Dissident. Uh, that's the green-white, when artifact enters the battlefield, you put a plus one, plus one counter on something. Um, so yeah, it has 54% win rate. <sighs> there might be some deck that would be great with it, but that deck didn't materialize yet. So, you know. 
that's the problem i think that there's no like there's no like good three drop aggressive artifacts uh, at common levels and uh, that means that it's a one one for too long so you either play non-creature artifacts which means that you put all the counters on the ocean dissident um or you play normal creature which means that the ocean dissident stays a one one for two mana which is not a great rate that's the problem that i think is with this card I mean, if maybe you curve this into a 3-2 that makes a power stone into some 4-drop, and then maybe something. But again, it creates bigger targets for removal. <coughs> uh, right. Um, just before I go to the acknowledgements, maybe let's take a look at just the bombs, basically, because I never mentioned anything on the best cards in the format, but maybe it's worth it. You know what is top card? Titania's Command. And just Lola, man, thank you very much for giving me lesson how good this card is by thrashing me mercilessly with it. Um, obviously, it's a command, so you can choose two. Exile Graveyard, gain one life for each card exile that way. Useful mode when you are low on life. Um, search your library for up to two lands cards, put them into the battlefield tapped, and then shuffle. Useful if you need multiple colors or if you're doing some kind of door-to-nothingness shenanigans. Um, Create two, two, two green bear to creature tokens. So, you know, good. And the last mode is just dope. Put two plus one plus one counters on each creature you control. So if you made bears, they will become four fours, plus everything else will be bigger. It's just insane, this card. It's just, just like, wow, 70%, 70.9% game and hand win rate, which is shocking. And actually, a very high opening hand win rate, which is weird for a six drop. Again, think about the fact that sample sizes are small, 700 uh, so far. Um, but, you know, I don't think it will drop much further. Uh, then number two is um, uh, Phyrexian Flash Gorger. I had it in my pearlies, I can attest. Seven, five menace life linker for seven uh, with ward pay life equal to its power. It's pretty good. Um, Titania's Command has 70% win rate, 71% game in hand win rate. Uh, Phyrexian Flesh Gorger only 68.8, <clears throat> so uh, much weaker. And then we have um, Gix's Command, um, so the Black Command, uh, plus choose two, put plus two, plus one, plus one counters on up to one creature. It gains lifelink until end of turn, or destroy a creature with power two or less, or return up to two creature cards from your graveyard to your hand or each opponent sacrifices a creature with the highest power among the creatures they control. It's just great. Like All the modes can be useful at some stage or another. Uh, and this one has 68% win rate, roughly. And then we have the last two bomby status cards. Um, uh, Siege Veteran has the three mana Luminarch Aspirant. Um, so um, three mana 2-2 two, two. at the beginning of combat, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. And whenever another non-token soldier you control dies, make a 1-1 one, one colorless soldier artifact creature token. Card's great. And um, a 9 mana mythic in Portal to Phyrexia. Uh, when it enters the battle, also had it in my prelease. I had <laughs> my pool had Phyrexian Flesh Gorger, Gix's Command and Portal to Phyrexia, and, and nothing else than that. I was just like, that, that was my that was my whole, whole plan whole plan. Uh, Portal of Tufyrexia, uh, when it enters the battlefield, um, each opponent sacrifices three creatures. Uh, and then at the beginning of your upkeep, put creature card from graveyard into the battlefield under your control. It's a Phyrexian in addition to its other types. Uh, that card is just amazing. Uh, both of them have roughly 67.7, 67.6 uh, win rate. Uh, so these are the, the bombs, the top five bombs for the format with a couple of close mentions. 
Um, there is actually most of them are on the mythic level, but there's plenty. There's 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 plenty of really good rares and mythics. And um, there is the best uncommon, the Skyfish Spider, is like not hitting the top 10 of the cards. So uh, those bombs are atrocious. That's why removal is so important. And that's why if you have to play your nine mana clone thing as the top of your curve and someone else is playing Phyrexian Flesh Gorger, you're going to lose that game. Maybe that's why those uh, rower rarity prototype things are not great because the high rarity prototype things are quite good. Um, okay, before my voice completely gives up. Acknowledgements, thank you to 17 Lens team. And in this spot, I would like to remind you that if you use 17 Lens, it's time to update your um, client if you're using the Python version. Uh, please do it because otherwise your games won't be recorded. Um, uh, that's the word from Rob, aka Viral Misnomer, aka Mr. 17 Lens. So do that. Uh, so thanks to the team because I know how hard they were working uh, before the format was released uh, and how much stress <clears throat> it cost them because every single new format WOTC changes small things in, in the logs and they have to decipher it between the early access event and, and, and when the format goes live. So yeah, kudos to them. And also thanks very much to Fake Jake Brown, um, uh, who is helping me with releasing this as a podcast version. And thanks for the MTGA zone. Uh, for sponsoring me and as we are on the podcast version also thanks to SSQ and Mana Junkie who are providing the music for the podcast version and with that see you next week with more data and bigger sample sizes till then 